The reading comes from appropriate uh, Matthew 21, 1-11, to where we read about Jesus' triumphant entry uh, into Jerusalem. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Good morning. On this day, 2,000 years ago, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we call today, this Sunday, Palm Sunday, because the crowds, they wave palm trees or palm branches, <laughs> palm branches, and they will also follow Jesus' possession into Jerusalem. They welcomed him as the long-awaited Messiah and King. Palm Sunday is one of the most important days in the Christian calendar. It marks the beginning of the Holy Week, the week of events that leading up to Jesus' death on Friday, but praise God, and also his resurrection on Sunday. So this morning, I would like to, well, let's all look at it on this Palm Sunday. I'm going to spend some time and look at these three events, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. And we all learn the significance. And through these three events, I pray that we will build a better, a closer, uh, a stronger relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at our first event. The first event. What happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And let's look at the, uh, the passage that Victor uh, read earlier, and that's taken from Matthew, uh, chapter 21, 1 through 11. I tell you what, um, why don't you, you know, we heard it once this morning. Why don't we all stand up, and we're going to read it together uh, one more time, shall we? Let all stand. And we're going to read it all together, please. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, 
and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foe of a breast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and put on them the cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread the clothes on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Please be seated. Let's take a look at uh, the map of Israel and uh, to better understand Jesus' itinerary, uh, to see where he was and how he eventually entered Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples were uh, on the Jer uh, Jericho Road and uh, they had already climbed most of the treacherous pathway. And then that twisted and turned and for 16 miles from Jericho to up to walking up to Jerusalem. So they started off Jericho and then Bethany and then Bethage and then finally Jerusalem. And let's take a look at another close in, another map the map of Jerusalem. And you see that Mount, uh, the Mount, of, uh, Mount Olives, it is the mountain ridge east of and also adjacent to the old city of Jerusalem. And there's the Kidron Valley, which separates the old city and, the, and, uh, and also Mount Olives. And here's the route. Jesus took, lead, you know, took leading to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem from Mount, Mount Olives, and then he passed through the Garden of Gethsemane and then Kidron Valley, and then entered into Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate, or known as Golden Gate. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the Mount, on the, the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs, him, needs them, and he will send them right away. By this point in Jesus' ministry, most of the disciples had learned to do as they were told. So the two men, the disciples, went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and put on them uh, their, the cloaks, and then Jesus sat on them. 
However trivial this task for the two disciples may seem, it was full of biblical and also theological significance. It demonstrated that Christ has come to be the Messiah. Messiah in Hebrew meaning、uh, anointed one, or chosen one, or the promised deliverer for the Jews of, of the Jews, and then the Greek equivalent is the word Christos, and in English Christ, and the name Jesus Christ is the same as Jesus, the Messiah. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, everyone knew that a regime change is changing, and was taking place. This was the day that the God's people, the Jews, had been praying for, longing for. They had been under the rule of the Romans. They had been reduced to nothing more than a puppet state. They had no real king. Because the Romans won't let, won't allow them to have such a king, the people hailed and praised Jesus as the King who comes in the name of the Lord. As he rode into Jerusalem, Jesus' purpose in riding into Jerusalem was to make public his claim to be their Messiah and King of Israel in fulfillment. Of the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophecy. But then, he is not declaring that he is the earthly king the Jews expected. That is, expected the Messiah to redeem Israel from by overflowing the rule of the Romans and establishing an earthly kingdom. No, that's not what Jesus, you know, came for. Jesus faced with difficult choice. He knew that he was soon to be crucified, to finish the work given to him by his Father, to finish the task of redemption of mankind, for the sins of mankind, for you and for me. And that's why, right before Jesus died on the cross, he uttered the words, "It's finished." He was declaring、uh, the the debt owed to his father was wiped away, completely and forever. Notice, not that Jesus wiped away the debt that he owed to the father, rather Jesus eliminated the debt owed by mankind, the debt of sin. The task of the redemption of mankind is. Finished. Back to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus chose to ride a coat, which represents gentleness and lowliness. Unlike the Roman emperors,、uh, who made the entry with what? With chariots. What does it mean? Chariots. What did chariots signify? Denoted war. Jesus made it known to the crowd that he came. He's really not for war. He came to give peace. He came not to wage war、uh, or fight against the Roman rule. 
Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem fulfilled the prophecy of the prophet Zechariah, some 500 to 550 years before Jesus, as recorded in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion! Shout, daughter Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. Jesus, the King of Peace, his rule is gentle. He laid down his life, used his sacrificial love, to conquer the hearts of people. When Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the crowd was shouting, "Hosanna! Hosanna!" Hosanna is often thought of a, a decoration of praise, similar to Hallelujah, but it is also actually mean it's a plea for salvation. The Hebrew root word、uh, can be found in Psalm one one eighteen verse twenty five, which says, "Save us, we pray, O Lord, save us." Pray, we pray, O Lord. Literally, Hosanna means "I beg you to save," or "Please deliver us." Indeed, Jesus is the Savior who died on the cross in order to save people from sin, from death, and from the dominion of darkness. Next Sunday, we celebrate Easter. Celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Celebrate Jesus conquering death. But then, before we do that, we need to first commemorate Jesus' sacrificial love during the Holy Week, that He was nailed on the cross for all mankind this coming Friday, for you, for me, for the whole world. So I'm going to ask you that. Join us this Friday for Friday Good Friday service, which starts at 8 p.m. I invite all of you to come and prepare your heart to worship, to worship our Lord Jesus Christ through the seven last words spoken by Him on the cross. It will be a night of songs, readings, and meditation, reflection, and prayer. Not only you come, but also bring your family members, your friends. Your co-workers. By all accounts, our Lord Jesus Christ, He did not do a lot of talking on the cross. He was silent during the house during the hours He hung on the cross, except for very few words. But these seven words provide a window、uh, into our Lord's soul. A way to understand what it what is ultimately important to the one who is dying on the cross for you and for me, and these these lead us to the second event. What happened on Good Friday? The Messiah died, but who killed the Messiah? Who killed Jesus? Let's take a look at Luke, chapter twenty-three, verses forty-four to forty-nine. 
It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." And having said that, having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, "Certainly this man was innocent." And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle,、uh, when they saw、uh, what they had taken place, returned home beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances. And the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. From this passage, we are reminded once again that Jesus died on the cross on that Friday, almost two thousand years ago. But then, who killed Jesus? A number of years ago, with the help of four biblical scholars, a major TV network revealed the events that led to the death of Jesus. At the end of the documentary, the four scholars were asked who they believe had killed Jesus. The unanimous answer was Pontius Pilate. And the Romans, who really killed Jesus? Let's take a look. Is it Judas? Mark fourteen ten reads: Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus. He gave Jesus away to the temple guards so they could arrest him. Is it the high priests? Is it the high priests? John eighteen twenty four says, "Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas the high priest." And in verse twenty eight, then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, and here the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. Absolutely, did not like what Jesus was doing, and they were delighted to get their hands on him and make up those accusations against Jesus. Who killed Jesus? Is it the crowd? Luke twenty three twenty one records, but they kept shouting, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" The crowd shouted that they wanted a terrorist by the name of Barabbas to be set free, but not Jesus. And they shouted for Jesus to be crucified. Next, is it Pontius Pilate? Mark fifteen fifteen. It reads, "Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged." And handed him over to be crucified. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. He was Roman emperor、uh, Caesar's representative, and as such, 
was the greatest authority in the land. He had power over life and death. Pilate saw no good reason to put Jesus to death. However, he still gave in to the will, to the shouts of the crowd. He allowed Jesus to be crucified. Is it the soldiers? They were the soldiers who mocked Jesus and bullied him, bullied him, and finally nailed him to the cross, under orders, of course. And then from Mark 15 verses 16 to 20, it reads, "The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the Praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him." Then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Who killed Jesus? Is it Satan? Satan was no doubt the major force behind the whole gruesome scenario. He had attempted to neutralize and to destroy Jesus from the start by tempting him. And by trying to bring about his spiritual destruction, he continued tempting, tempting Jesus all the way to the end. No doubt, Jesus nurtured the spirit of envy and bitterness in the religious and political leaders. Though it may be difficult to know the exact extent of of Satan's contribution. He was there, and he was heavily involved. Is it us? Is it us? What us? Yes, you and me. It is not good for us to blame these people who lived almost two thousand years ago. The people who really killed Jesus include us. Because the reason Jesus was born, and the reason he came to live on Earth, so that he could take the punishment for sins, the wrong things we have done. Jesus, the Son, the Son of God, was the only sufficient payment for the sins of the world. Therefore, it is justified to say that our sins killed. Jesus. So far, we have seen that there are several contributors to the death of Christ. All these can be listed as valid contributors to the final verdict. But it is all—is that all? Or that is to the story? Let us look at closely some aspect that we have not yet been considered. God the Father. And Christ did not have to go through the gruesome experience、uh, 
of the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus. They could have simply allowed humanity to reap the fruits of its doing and could have moved out without humanity. God did not have to send Jesus to die for our sins, to die for mankind. He did not have to watch his beloved son go through the humiliations and the sufferings and the terrible death on the cross. And Jesus did not have to go through any of this. Who then ultimately killed Jesus? Was it Judas? The high priests? The crowd? Pontius Pilate? The soldiers? Satan? The sins of the world, including yours and mine? Dear brothers and sisters and friends, it was the love of God for humanity that ultimately allowed Jesus to die on the cross. It is our Heavenly Father's initiative, and it is Jesus' obedience to the Father that Jesus died on the cross for mankind, for you and for me. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God the Father loves us so much that he was willing to go through unthinkable anguish for us by offering his only son to be whipped, to be insulted, and then to be nailed on the cross. It was God's love that prevented us from eternal condemnation. It was God's love that opened the possibility of eternal life for all humans. It is love, and there is no greater love than this. Who, therefore, killed Jesus? The answer should be clear by now. The Jewish leaders wanted it. Pontius Pilate could have, but did not prevent it. Satan provoked it. Our sin demanded it. And most of all, though, it was the will of God the Father. And it was Christ who willingly offered himself to be sacrificed, to die for all sinners, to die for the Jewish leaders who wanted him killed, to die for Pontius Pilate, who washed his hands, to die for the Roman soldiers who nailed him on the cross, to die for you and me and for all humanity that he, the Father, loves so deeply. So dear brothers and sisters, this is love, and there is no greater love than this. However, if Jesus, the Messiah, came and died, uh, and died, uh, and then there, that's the end of the Messiah story, then your faith and my faith, it would be futile. It would be pointless, empty, useless, worthless. And your sins have never been forgiven. 
And this takes us to the third event. What happened on Easter Sunday? What happened on Easter Sunday? The Messiah lived again. Jesus is the Lord of the dead and the living. Indeed, Jesus returned to life. He was for a time dead, but now is alive again. He is the Lord of the dead and the living. Romans chapter 14 verse 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, and he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. This verse tells us that we are not our own, but are the Lord's, both in life and death. Christ lived and died and rose again, that he might be the Lord of the dead and the living. For his power extends equally over both, both worlds. And thus, all throughout eternity shall live under Jesus' dominion. Praise God that not only Jesus came for us, not only he died for our sins, he also rose from the dead, resurrected, and lived again so that we might live. So dear friends, we have been saved by grace. The only thing that, that we can boast about is the new life that we share in Christ Jesus. He is our way of life. For us, it is all about Jesus. It is all about, or, or it's about nothing at all. Because of Jesus, we have hope. Because of Jesus, we have life. Because of Jesus, we have peace. Because of Jesus, the walls and the barriers of hostility between us have already been torn down. Praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus. So in conclusion, I would like you to take home the following four points. First, Jesus the Messiah came as the Savior that God loves us and nothing can ever change that. Second, Jesus the Messiah died for all sinners. God's grace save us from all sin, from our sins, because we cannot save ourselves and nothing can ever change that. Third, Jesus the Messiah live again so that we might live. Jesus came to put you know, all things in the right relationship with God and nothing can ever change that. Fourth, what is your response? What is your response? It is my prayer that during this holy week you would choose to dedicate or rededicate your life to our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. Commit your heart, commit your mind, commit your words, your action, everything that you have 
and everything that you are to Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that our Lord did enter the city of Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago to be hung on the cross and died for our sins. But Father, we thank you and we praise you that he rose again and on the third day so that whoever believes in him will receive eternal life. We thank our Lord for his sacrificial love for mankind. Father, we choose this day to rededicate our lives to you. We commit our hearts, our minds, our words, our actions, everything that we have and everything that we are to you. We purposely draw close to you and we thank you that you draw close to us. We ask that you forgive us of any unrepented sin in our lives. Likewise, we release and forgive anyone that has sinned against us. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus the Messiah came as the Savior. God loves us and nothing can change that. Dear friends, Jesus the Messiah died for all sinners. God's grace save us from sins because we cannot save ourselves and nothing can change that. Jesus the Messiah live again so that we might live. Jesus came to put all things in the right relationship with God and nothing can change that. So, what is your response to God? What is your response to His love? There is no greater love than what God, through Jesus Christ, did for mankind. Let us thank Him, thank God for His love, and let us determine to love Him and faithfully serve Him. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.